0: Our goal is to go as quickly as possible. There is always a risk, especially in the early days when we weren't as big, to be copied and to have the ideas stolen from us. So we really had to be obviously very data-driven, but also very fast in execution. That was always a core sort of value that we still have today. Uh, So we really try to make developers build as much unit tests as possible. We have a few tools also which monitor our coverage just to make sure that new code is always tested as much as possible.
1: Hi, I'm Eden Fulgo, and you're listening to How It's Tested, a monthly series where we discuss great products, how they're tested, and other stories from the testing community, featuring interviews with tech leaders, founders, testing experts, and creators. How It's Tested is brought to you by Heavybit, the leading investor in developer-first startups. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on this show, or if you would like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at teammobot. That's T-E-A-M-M-O-B-O-T. Today, we'll be chatting with Michael Labai, Chief Technical Officer at HOMA Games, a game technology lab and publisher that gives game creators the data-driven tools and human expertise needed to turn their creative ideas into commercial hits. Hi, Michael. Thanks so much for joining me on the How It's Tested podcast. It's really great to have you here.
0: Hi. Thanks for having me. Really happy to be here.
1: Yeah. I was particularly intrigued by your background because you work at Homa Games, um, where you're now the CTO. And what's particularly notable about Homa is that you guys have the most downloaded game in the world. And of course, an impressive portfolio of 80 plus games. Would love to hear from your perspective, just maybe an overview of kind of um, the company, your team, and, and your role, just so our listeners can get familiar and would love to kind of dive in and learn more about everything.
0: Yeah, for, for sure. Um, HomeEyes has been quite a long adventure for me. It started back in, in 2018, where, where I started out as a lead engineer uh, under the, the previous CTO. And uh, yeah, since I was able and fortunate enough to see it grow from this very uh, small company hiring only interns of about maybe 10 people to what it is today with, with 230 people, so it's, it's been quite a journey. And so just to summarize a bit what HOMA does, and, and indeed you, you said we've, we've had a lot of success this year with, with the most downloaded game in, in the first quarter, which is a unbelievable achievement for the team. So we started out essentially as a game publisher, and this is still what we are today, and we are also a game studio as well. Essentially, at HOMA, we build technologies. Uh, this is what we're, we're known for, and these technologies allow game developers from around the world, internally, externally, uh, to promote their games and make uh, their games reach the top of the charts. So essentially, we have technologies that allow developers to an- analyze the market, see what the competition are, is doing, analyze trends, uh, things like this. Then afterwards, test their games. So we take a lot of risk, actually, uh, on, on our side, and we spend a lot of money just making sure that every developer is allowed to test their game. So that usually that costs a bit of money, like a uh, few hundred dollars per test. And this allows us to get a sort of marketability insight on how marketable, essentially, the, the, the game is. So the, the better the stats, then the more potential the game has, and the more time we want to invest in, in, in those. And so let's say in uh, every month we test about 200 games, something like this, a bit more, and we really want to work on the game de- with the ve- game developers on the games which have the most potential. And here, essentially, we go into another phase, which we call iteration, which is really about making the game slightly better in different aspects uh, in terms of advertising, in terms of monetization, and also the the main game itself and the content of of it all. And that allows us to push the game to its maximum potential. And this is where we see the ones that will make it to the top charts or the ones which have a limited potential and and essentially have a ceiling at the top of their, their potential. So here, what we'll do is we'll scale little by little So when we were at uh, a few tests, uh, those hundreds of tests that we do and where we spend a few hundred dollars, essentially we test with about 100, 200, 400 users, something like this. This allows us to get enough information to to figure out the ones which are interesting. But then we scale up little by little, week by week, and there we reach uh, budgets of thousands of dollars, if not uh, eventually millions. And this allows us to see okay, this game does very well in the US, it can scale in other countries like India, or or Brazil, and and things like this. And eventually we see until when it it can go, uh, until where it can go in the top, and and hopefully, of course, it can be a top hit. This is really done with all our tech that are related to, advertising tech, monetization tech, and and our A-B testing tool as well, which we can talk about it uh, a bit later. And uh, so far, with at Homa, we've built different kinds of games. Uh, we're, we're quite known for hyper casual, but we're we're building a lot of different puzzle games today, even a tactical RPG as well. So it's quite uh, diverse, and uh, really looking forwards to what kind of successes we're going to have in the future. And and that's kind of the story of Homa. We're we're just at the beginning right now.
1: That's awesome. It's really interesting to hear about your process for experimentation and just kind of like casting a wide net to then figure out which games are kind of the highest converting, the highest potential. How is your engineering team or product team structured? Is it structured game by game or sort of like are teams in pods to kind of work on games? How long is a game in development before it's ready for that initial phase of experimentation or testing with the kind of, the, you, you mentioned a core few hundred users initially.
0: Yeah, so uh, there's I'll answer the last one first. Uh, so it can go very quickly. Um, essentially, our, our fastest launches have been from the first line of code to, let's say, the top 10 in the charts. Uh, on our best ones, it's been four weeks in, in our best cases. So very, very quick. Uh, sometimes we build more quality games where we want to invest a bit more into the content before we actually uh, promote it at scale. But uh, it really depends. But our goal is to go as quickly as possible. There is always a risk, especially in the early days when we weren't as big, to be copied and, and to have the ideas stolen from us. So we really had to be obviously very data-driven, but also very fast in execution. That was always a, a core sort of value that we still have, have today. In terms of actual structure, so it depends on what you're talking about. Basically, we have two different structures. There's ones for the tech tools that we we can talk about and the tech products, essentially. And there were, we're built in different... Um, squads, what we call squads, what you would call pods, I think there's uh, guilds <laughs> and some other companies as well. And, and there it's teams of, let's say, a three to five developers working alongside a tech lead, a product designer, a product manager, to build the best tools out there and, and products that can be used either by our internal teams, maybe it's our UA our user acquisition team who's who needs very specific tools internally to boost the game uh, on, on the, to the top of the charts, or it's going to be um, maybe game developers who will need tools to, again, analyze the market or, or do some A-B testing, for example. So these are kind of the, the product tech uh, tools, and there we work in a kind of typical sprint fashion uh, with, with two-week sprints. And then on the other side, you have the game structure, which is more on the operational uh, pole of the company. Uh, so it's me, I'm more on the tech and product rather than the... Operations, and there it's really game by game, and these uh, can vary. It's, we usually work most of our their cases is we work with external studios, and these studios can vary wide widely from uh, two developers to to uh, teams of twenty five people. So it, it really it's really a case by case depending on how big the game is and how much uh, resources are assigned to this game. So these are kind of the two structures. And then on our side, we have usually a publishing manager. We're going to have a data analyst who's going to work on the game. Uh, if the game goes uh, to post the publishing phase, we, we assign also some live ops manager who's going to uh, manage the, the game's uh, life cycle. Let's say if there's a um, specific campaign to launch for Christmas, for example, we will launch some very specific features for, for then. And that will be taken over uh, by the LiveOps team. And then throughout the lifetime of the game, we also have uh, at least one user acquisition manager who is going to manage the advertising of the uh, of the game and also some monetization uh, manager who's also going to figure out the best strategies, let's say, to, to monetize a game, uh, whether it's via ads or in-app purchases, uh, for example. And then we also have people, uh, a great creative team who's just... Creating ads constantly and just trying to find new ideas on how to make, let's say, the game appealing. So of course, when there's a new feature or new content uh, that that appears in the game, it gives the creative team more room to to kind of uh, test new ideas. And but it's a very very interesting process. So let's say most of the ads that you're going to create are actually going to fail and they're not going to be very successful. But Every now and then you find this win, which just changes the game, and and we've had a lot of successes here, just based sometimes on one ad and just one specific uh, ad, which just changes everything, and and some, uh, somehow is makes the game incredibly marketable. So that's uh, that's kind of the structures so are really very different from uh, tech products, which are more long-term builds, versus these game products, which are uh, can be either very quick or uh, more long-term. So. Just to give you an idea of timelines, like I said the, the shorter ones were about four weeks from, from development to to launch. Uh, and I mentioned a tactical RPG, for example. Uh, this is where we're investing heavily for the future of HOMA. And these are timelines which are more related to two years, for example. So it's really uh, different kinds of projects that are handled by the team.
1: Got it. Yeah, that's really interesting to know that sort of different teams at the company are kind of operating on different engineering timelines, different pace of, of development. I'm curious, for both the tech platform that you build and sort of individual games, um, you know, you you touched on A-B testing earlier, which I'd love to spend some time talking about that. But think uh, switching for a second to kind of just talking about general engineering best practices and regression testing, functional testing, integration testing... What are some of the best practices or philosophies that you want your team and the culture to have? And I'm curious, is that different on the different the tech platform team or just like individual squads? Curious your perspective there.
0: Yeah, so on, on that front, uh, and I can talk about the tech products that we have, we, we follow pretty much the, the typical pyramid of, of testing, if you will, that, that's found I think the, these days in, in most companies. Uh, so we really try to make developers build as much unit tests as possible. We have a few tools also which monitor our coverage just to make sure that new code always is always tested as, as much as possible. So that's, um, I would say that's the base and it's probably the most important. Super useful, by the way, that now there's some new tools like GitHub Copilot are, are allowing us to do this uh, more easily today. Then, of course, we try to build as many integration tests as possible on our servers, just to make sure that our endpoints are, are returning the right responses and, and that everything is, is functioning long-term with no regression. And of course, uh, a few uh, end-to-end tests and component tests as well, which are going to cover a lot of things that are, have to do with the, the front end. So we have a, a main web platform, which is called Homa Lab. and And so this is the main platform that's used internally has a lot of modules and uh, and some people have access to some and or not others. And it's obviously used externally by hundreds of game developers uh, already uh, that we collaborate with. And uh, so there until pretty much 2021, essentially beginning of 2021, we were unfortunately testing a lot of things manually uh, and uh, with a lot of uh, unit tests, yes, uh, depending on the project. But uh, really, uh, we, were, we were doing a lot of regression tests manually with a long list of, of things to test every single properly. So this, of course, was very uh, restrictive. And the tester, whether it was myself for that matter or, or some other people, were, were always the bottleneck into deploying faster. So we, we've changed, of course, drastically our philosophy when we started hiring um some QA engineers and, and Devender who joined us as a QA, QA engineer in January 2021, basically changed the game for us and and, uh, and allowed us to really ramp up our strategy, first of all, and just reduce manual actions. So we're, we're very heavily into automating as much as possible uh, so that we can have the deployment that cycles that we have today, which is deploying to production basically every one to two days. And that's, that's really what... Uh, our goal is. Would you like to know a bit more about the details of maybe the process? or
1: Certainly. Yeah, that sounds great.
0: Yeah. So basically, we have we've have a custom sprint process at the end of the day. And uh, once the code from the developers is done and ready and, and validated as a PR, we use a tool called Octeto, which is a Spanish startup. And it allows us to create some virtual environments and uh, which is ex- with exactly what you need and if it's just a front-end task maybe it's just a very simple task of adding a button or i, I don't know what else but it allows us to create automatically the moment is the pr is generated it creates a, a environment which allows anyone to test so here it would be more uh, first testable manually a product person, a QA person can just come in and test the feature if it's, if it's complex. But more importantly, on this environment, we also run some end-to-end tests and integration tests there directly so that we can, before in, even merging any code in any stage environment or production environment, we can already test on that specific branch and NPR. So that, that's been incredibly useful because we catch basically errors very, very early on. And of course then afterwards we, we enter a cycle of feedback. Once these things are validated, then they go to stage. And in stage usually where we still have some issues here and there, of course, as, as most companies do. But it turns out that most of the code that's deployed is basically stable and passes already all our tests before we even have to launch anything. Uh, in most cases, we don't even talk to QA, we'll go on going from stage to prop. so essentially, uh, it's quite a smooth process today. I think the challenge here is more about and adding the right end-to-end tests so that we can avoid any bad regressions uh, in in the future. So that's really an effort that the QA team is taking over with the tech leads to make sure that all the essential features in a in a one of the platforms module are covered, basically. Uh, so that's that's really the. The details, the QA team is always pushing for things to be tested as much as possible on the unit testing uh, level or maybe integration as well. So they're they're really promoting the the right uh, way to do things. And then of course, we have some crucial end-to-end tests, which allow us to be very uh, confident when we deploy to prod uh, every every few days. Uh, We have a few types of other testing as well, like load testing, which allow us to really test our servers, basically, and make sure that they can handle the, the millions of requests that, that come to us every day. Since we have our own analytics system, uh, you can imagine that uh, since we have so many millions of players around the world using our games, every single action that they do in a game sends an event to our servers. So of course, our servers need to be very robust, and yeah, load testing is essential. Uh, so. And just sorry to go back on, on the web platform uh, just to give a few names for the tools. We use mainly Cypress and Cucumber uh, for, for end-to-end tests and integration tests. And then uh, we're starting to use, as I said, GitHub Copilot for for writing some unit tests as well. But uh, that's more or less it. We're experimenting with Percy these days just to see uh, and compare kind of uh, different uh, uh, UIs and, and just see if this could work for us. I think we're it's too early stage at this point, but... Uh, it's it's already working well, and uh, just to go quickly on some other topics, on the we also have some mobile automated tests as well, which run uh, on our different tools that we build on the on the mobile side. Uh, essentially, there we have a physical machine that's in the office, whereas so it's uh, it's an Android device, which allows us to deploy, we deploy automatically all kinds of um, new versions of SDKs that can be installed on our games uh, uh, in the future. And so we first run them through our sort of testing pipeline, uh, our automated pipeline. And there everything is fully automated where we fetch the new SDK versions, let's say for a Facebook SDK, we want to take the new version, we can fetch it automatically from the, the stores. Put them in the game, and then here we we go into a sort of our nightly tests, what we call it. Uh, so we have tests which run every night, just to make sure that the game doesn't crash, ads are displayed, for example, and and things, obvious things can be tested and make sure that all the SDKs are initialized before the game is even sent to the to the stores, basically. So these these are kind of the the two main in terms of product tech tools, the two main areas of testing that we have.
1: That's really impressive. I think, Um, yeah, it's really cool to see just you have a lot of best practices that have been really solidified for the infrastructure and everything you have set up for uh, the Homa Lab platform. And it sounds like you try to apply as many of these best practices as well to the mobile side of things. One question I have as a follow-up there is, you know, you mentioned you use Percy, you use Cypress on the website. What's your take on sort of the mobile side of testing frameworks and solutions? Do you feel like there's as much support on the mobile side? And um, how do you kind of balance making sure that you have coverage on some of the mobile things as well? because um, at least in my experience, I've seen sometimes the, the mobile side tools are just less established. What do you think about that?
0: Definitely, and I didn't talk about game testing today because that's, that's really a part where we're struggling to automate things because I think the tools are, are pretty new and it's nothing compared to what we have on the website like with tools like Cypress, for sure. We were able to automate a few things with, with, first of all, automated automation on the CI side, and then kind of the tests that we talked about with checking that, that ads are, are working, uh, are displayed well and things like this. Definitely, there's no proper tool that we've seen. We're experimenting constantly a bit with, uh, so all all our games are in Unity, so there are some tools here and there that that we are currently experimenting with. But at the end of the day, when we need to test so many different games, and you've mentioned we have 80 games in our portfolio, most of the testings today is still going to be manual. So we're kind of waiting uh, and constantly doing a bit of R&D, testing new tools just to see what could be used. But for sure today uh, definitely open to suggestions if you have any that we've struggled on that front uh, for for automation.
1: I guess like theoretically even if there was a tool that was able to do automation how would you kind of go through that decision-making process of like okay you have 80 games like how would you prioritize, like, oh, these are the games that you think are the longest standing, the most users, um, to kind of figure out, um, because you mentioned you have tools that kind of measure code coverage, or I don't know if you have other internal metrics in terms that that you guys are tracking of sort of, like, are certain games higher priority to keep, you know, in, in good shape than other games? Like, how do you kind of think about prioritizing those 80 games?
0: Yeah, for, for sure. there's uh, The priority is relatively simple. It's revenue at the end of the day. So any game that makes more revenue than another is, is going to be a priority. Usually the games that we recently launched are the ones which are making the most and, and therefore are the highest priority. There's always going to be some cases as well where we see that some games, maybe they're not making the most revenue, but they have a high number of crashes. So we use tools like Crashlytics to allow us to kind of identify the issue and why the games crashed. So that's quite interesting to investigate all the time. So we try to get to stay, I think, on over, uh, I mean, under 5% of crashes, for example. And uh, it's always quite a, it's quite a good tool because it really allows us to kind of dig deep into the, the actual error and really uh, gets, get a sense of how, where to start the investigation. So the priority is, is relatively simple so that's why we've been able to manage with a QA team which is still relatively small but, but growing who's still doing a lot of manual tests.
1: I see. Yeah, I guess that's really interesting to know that you know you have this QA team and and they're able to su- a fairly small team and they're able to support 80 games, I'm assuming it kind of means you have a, a schedule or a strategy. How often is the QA team kind of like touching each game? Is it like a couple times a month or how does that work?
0: So when you're in the process of iterating a lot on the game, then there it's basically daily uh, for the, for these games, which are not yet published on the store uh, and, and not, or not at scale, let's say. Uh, these games are basically tested every day because there's a new version new content uh, new advertising networks integrated into games so there we need to make sure that there's no regressions essentially uh, so there for those new games constantly for these old games which have been in our portfolio for a while maybe in those 80 games there's there are a lot of games where we don't touch and they're just there and maybe we can in the future do some automation on on some of these games which are, don't bring in much revenue but Uh, essentially they're not really touched. So the focus is really going to be on about 10 games maybe where the updates are just coming every every week. And that's really the the priority.
1: I see. One of the interesting things that I've sort of thought through about testing games or even trying to build automation test cases um, is that I know games are especially, there can be so many different paths that you as a, a user would go through. Do you feel like with most of the games that you would potentially consider automation for, is there a sort of deterministic flow that you could build some basic end-to-end tests for? Either like yeah, in-app purchases or onboarding. Like how do you sort of think about even if you had automation, like would you be able to automate in a deterministic way? Or like how how does the role of manual versus automation um, testing kind of evolve over time in your opinion?
0: I, I think there's two avenues to explore here. Um, one is to do with common components which are there across the game. So for example, we're releasing our uh, HOMA login and player profile very soon, and it's going to be available in all our games, and it's going to look the same in all our games as well. So that's a huge advantage because we'll be able to automate something which is the same across different games and devices. So. That will be a huge plus, and this will allow us to start this sort of common automated testing, uh, hopefully with the QA team, even on the game side. So anything that's common, and we're doing more and more of these things, uh, we're going to add some leaderboards in the near future as well, and all our games, these features will be testable, I think, in the automation. The second avenue is Really, if one of our games is just, let's say, top one priority and and really bringing, let's say, the majority of the revenue one day because we're we're really building the company towards building these games, which are absolutely massive. There, it will not make sense to even invest some time into automation specifically for this game. So it can be reused maybe anywhere else, but it will ensure that a uh, player can play through the first level of the game and then maybe test a few things like this, some different features, the shops, uh, making sure that uh, IEPs can be bought, ads are displayed. I, I think all of these things can be done uh, because we're ready to invest the time specifically on, on one game. So I think these are the two things that we need to prioritize in the future, and, and they're going to come soon this year. Mm-hmm.
1: You had mentioned earlier that you've tried some of the tools and there are also new tools that are coming out on the market. I don't know, is it actually possible to kind of do some of the automation that you're looking for using like Appium or, you know, for example, I know React Native developers will sometimes use Detox as a testing framework. Is there something particular about sort of the implementation of Unity that makes it harder for your team to do automation? Or I'm just curious, like, why are some of the solutions kind of constrained right now for your team?
0: I don't know the details of which tools we're trying out these days uh, because I think we're trying them out here and there uh, with different QA teams. Um, So I don't think I I have any uh, insights here to provide. But... uh, I would say that almost Unity would probably provide a better uh, base for, for testing, if anything else, because at least it adds a sort of layer of commonality between all our products. So hopefully, the, even if there's a testing framework which works 100% on, on Unity, then hopefully we'll be able to make full use of it compared to maybe other gaming companies which, which have games on different engines, which makes things uh, more difficult, actually.
1: Yeah. I want to switch gears for a second um, to talk a bit about, you mentioned um, your company and your teams are just impressively doing a lot of A-B testing and experimentation. I'm assuming part of the reason why this is possible is because a lot of these games are kind of leveraging the platform of Homa Lab and and everything is kind of built into each other. But I would love to hear a little bit more about that if you um, you have some time.
0: Sure, yeah. Uh, So A-B testing has always been one of these early uh Homa products that, that we decided to build internally for, for various reasons. And this goes hand-in-hand hand today with our the fact that we have our, our own internal analytics as well. And this allowed us over the years to, first of all, perfect the product and, and really make it uh, to something very promising today. And that's used uh, by all the teams, uh, whether it's the LiveOps teams to make incremental changes in the game or or even external studios to try different remote configurations and and really uh, uh, check which version of the game can bring in the most uh, value to the players and revenue to the company. Today, it it already allows us to do a lot. And then really, that's when we're in this phase where we have enough users, so we're, we're going from the hundreds and we're scaling up the budget so we can get a bit more users and we can get these thousands of users, then it becomes very interesting. So you can really change... Anything. When you have small amounts of users, you need to be able to make changes that have a big impact so that they can be noticed, right? So uh, for an example, you can completely change the game, maybe completely change level one to make it incredibly difficult or incredibly easy. You can change the camera angles, things that are very drastic and really affect kind of the, the player's perception of the game. And this, even with uh, 100 users or a bit more, we have a statistical analysis which allows us to detect if one version of the game is better than another. And all of this, just for the comfort of our chair and, and just uh, uh, editing parameters and, and values and launching tests in Homa Lab, uh, we can affect these new users and even existing users playing our games just to give them different experiences. And so this... At low user scale, then it's uh, it's important to do huge changes. But of course, as the game grows, then the the changes that you can make are going to be small increments. And so, while these changes maybe have less impact on the overall performance of the game and and the revenue generated, you're going to maybe going to need a bit more users to detect the changes that make sense. But still, this if you get enough users, and maybe one small change will will need ten thousand users per, per variant or something like this then it will still allow us to make incremental changes and really be 100% data-driven in every single decision that we make just uh, to make the game better overall. So very small things here and there, modifying like uh, the color feel of the game, modifying the frequency of ads, uh, modifying the the level difficulty, things like this. All of this can be completely dynamic. So if even though two people have the same version of the game, the same game, sorry, yeah, they could have two completely different versions of it and experiences uh, tailored to their own uh, behavior in the game.
1: That's very cool. And I would imagine there's also, um, your team has a pretty rigorous structure for sort of like managing and scheduling and, you know, like which groups of users get which results. Can you give me an example, maybe if you don't mind, of just like uh, an e- example of an A-B test where it surprised you, like maybe the the result was like unexpected or unintuitive, but it ended up sort of driving some really interesting opportunities for, the, for a game or for the company.
0: There's always cases. I think there's there's a lot of, it's, it's always very interesting to try and understand why, uh, because sometimes, of course, it's, uh, the results are as expected, but sometimes you need to really understand why the results are as is. An important I, I, We've had a few cases in the past where we've had it, the difficulty of balancing the frequency of ads and the retention of the users it has always been very interesting to take a look at, and, and that's has happened for, for every single game. Managing this is interesting because, of course, if you show too many ads, the, the player is just going to leave, and if you show too little, then the game is not going to make revenue, but maybe the, the user will stay for a bit longer. So I think we've had a lot of cases where the balance there has, has been interesting. Early on, I, I remember some some ridiculous ones where uh, we had a test which was completely crashing the game, and we were expecting fantastic results for, for the change, but in the end it was completely crashing. So we lost a bit of money that week because we didn't react fast enough to turn off the test. But uh, yeah, this was definitely, uh, there are a few cases and it's always interesting to investigate and you really have to go into the details. So you have to take a look. Okay, the big picture is the revenue. Then you go into the details of, okay, how many rewarded videos are shown? uh, What levels are the players stopping at? Are they stopping at level 15 or 20? Is there a difference of culture between different countries? Because maybe uh, one level or character appeals more to some a country or another. Uh, it's It's very diverse and it requires a, a lot of time from uh, live ops managers and and data analysts to really understand these cases.
1: That's really impressive to just know that um, there's a lot of different roles and responsibilities, and it's outside of just engineering when when you think about designing a B tests, like the the sort of thought and intention that goes into it. I feel like we could spend a lot more time at, you know, talking through this topic. I, I have so many other questions and maybe that could honestly be its whole own other episode. Um, but I know we're running out of time here. Uh, really appreciate the time that you've given today. Any final sort of perspective um, on either testing or software engineering that you'd like to share with our listeners?
0: Yeah, I, I mean... Automation is obviously the key. Uh, I think there's still some companies out there which are still manually testing everything with teams of hundreds of QA engineers and QA testers, may I say? So I think definitely that would be the main learnings of of these past few years is is really hiring competent QA engineers is is definitely a huge plus for the company so that you can uh, scale, essentially. And another one is that not only do you need to hire QA engineers, but you also need to make developers responsible for their own codes. So ideally, and and Devinder or our lead QA always likes to say this: his his goal is to become completely irrelevant in six months. And uh, even though that's not going to be the case, uh, the goal is really to have as many of the developers take ownership of technologies like Cypress and Cucumber, just so that they can code the end to end themselves without relying on the on a third party and another team like like QA. So so definitely not only going for automation by hiring QA engineers, but also making sure that developers can take ownership of this technology as well. So that's that's really I think the the key learnings that have been with Homa in, in the past couple of years.
1: Yeah, I'm excited for just the way that the industry on both web and mobile are going to continue to evolve over the next few years. Yeah. I, you know, one of my hopes for at least the mobile side of the industry that we will get to a point where um, trying to automate for one of your games should be as simple as writing a Cypress test. I think uh, there's a lot of complexity in the tech stack that makes that um, you know harder, yep. but I do, I'm do. i excited about just the number of tools that are popping up, um, the way that people perceive automated and manual testing and physical testing is changing, and that's been a big part of what we're trying to do at MoBot as well. But yeah, I'd love to, at some point, have another conversation with you about the because I think the industry is moving so fast, and especially you were touching on like GitHub Pilot, generative AI. Sure, I really think things are going to change a lot in this next year. It's going to be super cool.
0: Definitely, I think AI is going to change the game, and that's why also I'm, I'm a bit waiting. I would say for some of these tools to come out, mm-hmm. so that we can just uh, change our way of doing things and and go uh, for as much automation as possible. Yeah, so very excited to see what's coming out. And we're we're exploring generative AI on quite a lot of different topics today. Uh, and it's one of my main priorities actually in, in the next two quarters. And already very interesting, we're organizing a hackathon as well internally to see what, what are the best ideas that can come from the developers in the team as well and uh, regarding to generative AI. So maybe there's gonna be something related to testing. So we'll see, this will be in a, in a couple of weeks. And um, yeah, I'm I, very curious to see what happens and, and happy if you have any suggestions in the future, I will be listening to to this podcast to learn a bit more.
1: For sure. Thank you so much, Michael, for joining me today. Um, you know, really enjoyed our conversation. I think learning a lot about just like how the incredible growth of your company and the infrastructure, the tooling that you've built in place to support 80 games, like it's not just 80 games individually being pushed to the App Store. There's a lot of thought and strategy and best practices that goes into deploying for those yeah. um, you know day after day. And so yeah, really appreciate the conversation and looking forward to keeping in touch.
0: Same here. Thanks a lot for having me.
1: That's all we have time for today. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Team Mobot. That's T-E-A-M-M-O-B-O-T. This show is brought to you by Heavybit, the leading investor in developer-first startups. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com.